Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everybody, it's T with Abduction Enigma Podcast. So this week, we're going to take a little bit of a journey into the Allagash abductions. So on this episode, we're going to go over a little bit of the aftermath, the basics of the story, and then next time, I'm going to give you every piece of the regression from all four men. Now, I don't have the actual regression tapes, but I do have the book by Raymond Fowler, The Allagash Abductions. So you're going to have to deal with some little bit of a crappy acting on my part, but I'm going to get it done for you. As well as that, I've also got a clip from Dr. Alan Hynek I want to throw in. So I hope you guys enjoy, and let's get it. On August 26, 1976... Four art students of Boston wanted to get away and go fishing for the weekend. So they went to the main Allagash River and decided to go camping. A spot in Big Eagle Lake. Their lives would be changed forever. It was very dark that night. So the four friends, Jack and Jim Wiener, Chuck Rack, and Charlie Bolts, built a fire that would last for hours so that they could find their way back to the campsite. The four men shuffled to the canoe with their gear in hand to go fish. Fifteen to twenty minutes had gone by on the still lake when Chuck Rack spoke up and said, Hey guys, that's a hell of a case of swamp gas. As they turned around, 150 to 200 yards was a huge ball of glowing pulsating light coming out of the trees. Now hovering above the trees motionless, Jim Wiener says, I remember it as being a very bright round sphere of light. It had a kind of Roy Loon quality to it. It was yellow and white in nature. It hovered totally silently over the treetops. Charlie Foltz then thought maybe they should signal the craft with a flashlight. Everyone agreed, and as Jack put it, Go ahead, what's going to happen? But the moment he did, the light started coming towards the men. The next thing I remember is seeing a beam coming right toward the back of the canoe, and at that point, we started paddling to the shore, said Jack. As the men paddled, the object followed closer, and was descending closer and closer. Panicking, Jack states a second later it was right on us, almost on top of us with the beam coming across the water towards our canoe, and I remember thinking... Well, we aren't going to outrun this thing. There's no way we are going to outrun this thing. And the next thing I remember is standing on the beach. None of the men remember arriving on the beach. The furious fire that they had just put up 15 to 20 minutes before 
was nothing more than embers, and the craft was gone, but only Chuck Rack had observed it leaving. I observed it leaving slowly and faded out, said Chuck Rack. The four men stood in silence, wondering what had happened to the fire, shocked by the missing time. For almost twelve years, the incident puzzled the four men, until the wieners began having nightmares. Jack stated, and then I would wake up, and I'd be drenched in sweat, and my heart would be beating fast, and it was like a horrible, horrible nightmare, and it kept reoccurring and reoccurring, said Jack. Jim stated, I started having nightmares about being some room or some area with these strange creatures around. After telling his brother about his odd dreams, Jack replied to Jim, I can't believe you're telling me this because I've been having the same dream. That should be noted at this point that in 1978, Jim had taken a fall, 14 foot fall had broken a couple pieces of his spine and had been diagnosed with temporal epilepsy. He was also having seizures and many other issues. But Jim went to a psychiatrist who diagnosed him with temporal epilepsy and such. Later on, Jim would meet Raymond Fowler at a UFO conference. Raymond Fowler, being the good researcher that he is, called each man and all four men underwent regressive hypnosis and shared very similar tales. The UFO above them, with the light on the men, persisted as Jack yelled, They're gaining on us, and looking back to see Chuck Rack gone. Jim Weiner stated about the feeling of the beam, I remember the pressure, or heat, of my physical body being ripped to shreds, like on a molecular level, it's the only way to uh, verbalize it. But I, it is extremely unpleasant feeling. It feels like death. Jack states, I had no idea where I was. Then I realized that the three guys were sitting on my left, on this bench, naked. All I knew was, I was in a strange place place laying naked paralyzed with these things toward me but Jim went on to describe the abductors the creatures that I remember reminded me of bugs I remember these creatures examining my brother with a type of wand is what it appeared to me as it was long thin instrument maybe the diameter of a pencil one foot maybe or a little over a foot long with a bulbous end on it. Jack then notes that they had turned him over and performed an anal exam on him, while Jim had had sperm taken, and they flooded his mind with images of lovemaking to make the process a little easier. Charlie Fultz also remembers being on his back and struggling to get up, but stops his struggle when a face approaches him with dark black almond-shaped eyes. Jack also notices the odd hands on the abductor's forefingers and similar yet vastly different than our own, with no opposable thumb. And in one of the very famous drawings that the wieners drew is this very hand holding a needle or even a wand in it. 
The men were experimented on and terrified. Brought to another room and then finally back to the canoe, in which the aliens were both in the canoe as well as in the water, attempting to put the men back. Chuck recalls them struggling with Jim to put him back just the way he was. Presumably at this point, Chuck was already in the canoe, but the other two, Jack and Charlie, were beamed to the shore. They had now been missing for three hours of time, and they knew why. Two days before the initial abduction, they had another incident with a UFO. It was dusk on Chamberlain Lake, and they came across other campers. Some men were worried about their sons. Their sons had taken a canoe out on the lake, but it was becoming dark. And what if they had become lost? The men yelled for the boys, and the four men helped. As they did, they spotted an odd light a few miles away over the treetops. They pulled out binoculars and concluded that it had to be an aircraft emitting a velvety yellow light. After about 30 seconds, the light disappeared, winking out. After this, the men found their sons coming back, paddling up the way with the canoe. So prior to the events of their abduction, they had seen a UFO. Now upon recollection, I believe that the Wieners say that they have had abductions as children, which does in fact fit the abduction mold. Another odd thing is that they in fact, much like Terry Lovelace, had just a calling to go out to the wilderness. And I find that odd, and not to be a coincidence. The case is interesting, nonetheless. The Allagash Abduction Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's very nostalgic for most people. It was on Unsolved Mysteries, Sightings, and it really hit big time in the 90s. But an article in 2016 by Fiddlehead Focus put the abduction in doubt. The article was titled, Subject of 1976 UFO Incident Cast Doubt on Allagash Abductions. This was dated Wednesday, August 31st, 2016. Speaking on the phone in a Missouri motel, Chuck Rack said the abduction did not happen. The reason I supported the story at first was because I wanted to make money, said Rack. But Rack firmly said that he saw 
and witnessed a UFO on the night of the abduction and two nights before. Oh yes, I saw the craft, said Rack. But he stated that the most vivid sighting occurred on Big Eagle Lake. I had an uncomfortable feeling of being stared at, said Rack. I turned around and saw this very, very bright globe of light in the sky. He described it as changing from white to red to green in a liquid kind of melting motion. Rack then stated that the very next day, they sought the ranger on duty and reported the sighting. But the ranger dismissed the sighting, attributing it to lights coming from a grand opening of a hardware store. But as Rack points out, this was 9 o'clock at night, and the store was 75 miles away, so this simply made no sense. According to Rack, the men went along their way on the trip, and didn't discuss the possibilities of being abducted by aliens. Until years later, after Jim suffered a traumatic fall and began to experience seizures. Chuck Rack said, after suffering this fall, he started having these visions of humanoid beings levitating above his bed, poking him with needles. Jim then shared his visions with renowned UFO researcher and author Raymond Fowler, and after this, the men underwent a hypnotic regression session with a man named Tony Constantino, during which Jack, Jim, and Charlie recalled seeing small gray aliens taking them and examining them. Rack says he did not recall this from the hypnosis session, even though beforehand he had stated that he did. Fowler then wrote his book in 1993, The Allagash Abductions, and the public coined the term the Allagash Four for the men. They appeared on Joan Rivers' show Sightings, Unsolved Mysteries, to name a few. Rack went on to say we were compelled to stay together, all speculating that this could go into the millions of dollars for each of us, but also noted that they had made very little. Rack then stated that they eventually had a falling out with him, and then he came out telling people the abductions never took place. I don't call it a hoax, said Rack, just brilliant storytelling. It's not the truth. But I have to admire the storytelling ability of these guys, said Rack. He challenges one key element of the case, the fire, or the lost time. The men all said the fire was large and burned out over time. It had to have been at least three hours for it all to burn out. Rack dismisses this claim. It certainly was a big fire. I agree with that. Those logs were maybe three inches. Some could have been three and a half. That's the biggest they could have been. And most of them were smaller. And as such, in that condition, those pieces of wood would have burned out very quickly. But Charlie Fold stated, Some of the wood we put on there was about the diameter of my leg. I would say at least a good ten inches in diameter easily. Rack also claimed that he and the other men had done some recreational drugs on the night of the abduction. I remember Jack brought some Afghan temple ball with him to share with the rest of us. Yeah, we were definitely stoned when we went out on the lake just before we got that sighting. 
When Joanne River asked if they had done drugs or drinking, Jim was next to her, received the question, so Rack didn't have to lie. But Charlie Fultz states, no. We bought an eight-pack of beer when we bought all the supplies for the canoe trip. Fultz described Rack as a man with a violent temper who has been banned from UFO conventions. And Jim Weiner feels much the same way as Charlie Fultz does about Chuck Rack. Raymond Fowler also commented that Chuck Rack did not have a very detailed recall of the abduction under hypnosis, stating that Rack had to be in control and not happy not being able to recall the abduction portion of the incident. Thus, years later after the investigation, he claimed there was no abduction. Jim Weiner relayed a story in which he states that after the Joanne Rivers interview, when Rack tried to convince the men of a new way to capitalize his case, his proposal was that all four men refute the professional handling of the case by Raymond Fowler, Mufon, and Tony Constantino, creating controversy and a story that would sell. The men did not agree, and they voiced their ethical concerns with him and their disgust. Rack does not deny the description of events by, described by Jim. Jim, Jack, and Charlie Foltz all stick by their story still today, but Rack does not. But he does not assume that abductions cannot take place, he just doesn't think that's what happened in their case. Very, very interesting. A scorned man trying to recount his abduction and call the others a liar. Was he confused and perhaps doesn't remember that part of the event? He does not discount the UFOs. Interesting indeed. Before we get to our analysis portion, I did want to state one thing. I remember it, it as being a very bright round sphere of light. It had a kind of a Roiloom quality to it. It was yellow and white in nature. It hovered totally silently over the treetops. Now this quote was actually by Jack Wiener and not Jim Wiener. They are twins, they are identical, and I do mix them up at times, but I did want to clarify that. Now to break down the Allagash abductions, I do find the testimony of Chuck Rack to be quite damning against the Allagash abductions. I love the case, but it is very convincing on his part. He does not deny seeing the UFO prior but rather the abduction portion. He also admits that he lied about his regression tape, which we will go into next week. Now was it the fact that Chuck was scorned? Or was it the fact that he's telling the truth and they legitimately just wanted to make money off of the abduction tale? If they did in fact make it up, they conducted a lot of research into some of the aspects of alien abduction, such as missing time, 
how it feels to be abducted, and what occurs during an alien abduction. I do find it interesting that Jim went and sought out Raymond Fowler. But it could be that perhaps he was doing his own research at this point. And decided to try to figure it out, so therefore going to UFO meetings and such. Now the temporal lobe epilepsy and having the hallucinations or nightmares of this abduction. Did that cause the abduction memory or did it proceed after? I find it interesting that his brother had the very same nightmares. Now again, if they're making it up, of course they're going to say that. But an abductee, this often happens. PTSD, the flashbacks, the nightmares. So what it really comes down to is, they truly are either making it up, or they experience something. They pass a polygraph test, done by Ernest Reed voluntarily. All four men, and they all pass. But it is easy to trick a polygraph test, and they are not admissible. Now I also find it interesting that the Wieners art changed drastically immediately following the event. Much like Richard Dreyfus, Jack and Jim Wiener both became obsessed. Jim originally did clay work with pottery, traditional pitchers and bowls, but began to do bizarre structural images. And Jack became obsessed with doing the drawings of his abductors and the abduction experience. Now I myself used to be really into drawing. And I used to draw dinosaurs and everything as a little kid and as I grew older, you know, it was many different things. But now I find myself just drawing UFO related material, alien abductions, you know, what I research. So could it be a case of that, rather than this being a cause of an abduction? Now another point is the fact that they had told one of the talk show hosts, Joan River, that they hadn't had drugs or been drinking, yet they had been, according to Chuck Rack. More damning evidence or another scorned partner. Now, I love the Allagash abduction. It's a great tale, and I think you'd be seldom to find people that don't like it and want to believe. So this one's a little up in the air because it has aspects that fit and aspects that don't. Now, it will be up to you to decide whether you choose to believe the story. And next week, we will go into the regressions, as narrated by me. So until then, keep an open mind. Now this one is an interview by Tom Schneider of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, as well as Peter Gersten. Now, I thought this was important, and oh my god, I've been looking for this one for years. For this one simple fact. And it has been hard to track down. This is an interview 
at the very first part in which Dr. Alan Hynek talks about a very odd experience on rabbits that occur. Now the physical effects that UFOs have on people is quite evident. It can cause physical damage. People suffer from the Oz effect. As in everything goes silent and you get this weird feeling through your body. This is one of the reasons that I think not everybody who says they were abducted is abducted. Because again, with people like Terry Lovelace and Debbie Cobble and a couple others, you find that they suffer physical damage. Irritation in the eyes, almost like conjunctivitis. Rashes. Their skin goes numb in some cases. There's obvious effects on their bodies and when they go to the doctor they can't figure out what the hell happened to these people now you find that with these rabbits they fall on their back and something very odd happens to them now alien abductions do occur this is undoubtable too many people report it and there has been physical damage done to people. Now the question is, does it occur on the mass scale in which we think it does? But I do digress. This is about the animals. Now I want you to keep that in mind while listening to this, because I find it quite fascinating, as you should as well, and I think you guys will enjoy it. There was a time when people would cite flying saucers and wherever they made reports they were sometimes treated or ridiculed or called wackos or crazy people. What Dr. Heineck and his people are trying to do is present a forum where people can present the most unusual sightings and have them treated with dignity and without fear of being ridiculed. Would you please welcome uh, from, the center for the, or the, from the Center of UFO Studies in Evanston, Illinois, Dr. J. Allen Heineck. Dr. Heineck. When you first get a, uh, <clears throat> when you first get a report of a sighting, is your job to assemble evidence that will prove it to be so or to assemble evidence to prove that it did not happen? You know, there are two ways to go on any investigation. The first thing we do is to try to disprove it. Mm -hmm. Because what is the point of establishing or of, of perpetuating a myth or something that isn't so? And it turns out that some 90% of the raw reports, see, we have a, a nationwide police network, an 800 number that the police use, and uh, we get reports every night from police departments or different parts of the country. Most of them are planets, twinkling stars. Explainable or identifiable explainable. things. The IFOs, we call them, identifiable flying objects. But that remaining 10%, those are the ones we go after. Now, a UFO, the U in UFO, of course, simply means unidentified. It does not necessarily mean visitors from outer space. But it must be unidentified not just to the person who is puzzled by it, but it must remain unidentified after considerable study. Then and only then is it a UFO. What are you investigating right now? What have been some things that have come up in the last couple of months that you're looking into? 
Well, we have a very interesting case uh, just uh, in, Mis in Muscatine, Iowa, just comes to mind. Uh, sometimes, you know, animals are the first things to give uh, warning that something, something strange is oh, going on. Oh, any time. In California, for example, before an earthquake, the animal kingdom is aware of it long before we are. They do, That's true. do things. Now, uh, we had a letter from a chap saying that uh, what first called my attention to something going on was the fuss that the horses were raising in the barn. But this time it's rabbits. There's a, it's a rather an interesting story. There's a chap that uh, runs a toll gate at Muscatine, Iowa, across the river there. And he runs the, from the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shifts. the all-night, uh, okay. Yeah. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, it has been his custom for quite a while to feed the, ra the wild rabbits. He takes ra carrots and tosses them out, and the rabbits grab a carrot and dash off. At this time, at 10 minutes to 3, he goes out there, and the rabbits are just lying flat and immobile on the cement. Just not, absolutely not, not dead. Okay. But just as though they were petrified, paralyzed. And simultaneously, as soon as he sees that, he hears a humming sound, loud humming sound, and a large yellow object rises from across the river and comes across. And it, the whole thing lasted for some six minutes. As soon as it was gone, the rabbits jumped back to life and scurried off. And also, at the same time, we're still investigating, there was a concomitant power outage in Muscatine. Now, we don't know whether that was, had anything to do with the UFO mm -hmm. or not, but it may have. Usually there is some kind of a, a power fluctuation or power so outage. So those are the sorts of things that, that we investigate. Mm -hmm. All right. and, but you have no, uh, the jury's still out on this jury's one. The jury's still out on that one, yeah. What do you think the government knows about UFOs that they're not telling us? If you well, could you say see, it in a, sense, in a sentence or two before I introduce uh, Mr. Gersten here. Yeah, he, it's, uh, that's, that's his baby. And uh, the point is that I was with Project Blue Book, of course, for a long while. <clears throat> in fact, it was as an astronomer that I got into this. I think it's always important to, for, for me, it's important to recognize that I am an astronomer and got into it because the Air Force needed an astronomer. And in fact, uh, I continue to be an astronomer. I'm, I'm going to have a, a monthly column in Science Digest on astronomy, not on UFOs. Now, the, in my association with Project Blue Book, I, don't, I know very well that it was not a scientific project. Also, I also know that they never, never would notify the media when an interesting case came up. They did everything they could to keep it down. Keep it keep down. down. So they definitely withheld information. I will not go so far as to say that it was a, you know, a Machiavellian sinister cover-up. Or conspiracy. Conspiracy. Right. I don't like those terms. But, uh, but withholding of documents, yes. And that's exactly what Peter Gersten has been so good at getting... And so diligent in uh, pursuing it through the Freedom of Information Act. Well, yes. let me do a station break here, and we'll bring uh, Mr. Gersten out, and we'll have a little, a little go at this. Good. We will continue with Dr. Hynek, and we'll meet Peter Gersten right after this for, our or for the NBC television stations. We'll be right back. Gersten, who is a New York criminal attorney who filed a suit against the U.S. government to force them to release thousands of UFO-related documents. And rather than going through this entire introduction, I'll let Peter tell the story. What kinds of information were you looking for when you applied to the government uh, through the uh, FOI, and what agencies did you have to apply to? Well, basically, um, we were looking for UFO-related information. There's no question about that. And we had to bring lawsuits, unfortunately, against the CIA, the National Security Agency, which is more sec uh, uh, secretive than, than the CIA. We had to bring lawsuits against the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Federal Aviation Administration for UFO-related documents. What was the motivation for this, Peter? Are you well, a, a UFO person interested Well, in it was a hobby, but you have to remember that um, you can request documents of these agencies under the Freedom of Information Act. But unless they release the documents, you're forced to go into court to obtain the documents. And the CIA, for approximately 
uh, the 30 years the agency was in existence and the UFO phenomena was in existence. And, and interesting enough, they both came into being more or less at the same time, refused to even acknowledge they were studying the phenomena. Were you applying on your own behalf or on behalf of a client? Can I, no, on, on behalf of Ground Saucer Watch, which is a UFO organization. Right. And uh, f uh, the following suits were brought on behalf of Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, which is an organization I helped uh, start with a couple of other people. What did you find that you didn't know? That we didn't know? Mm -hmm. Well, at least as far as I was concerned, you can speak to Alan and he will tell you he knew this all along. There's no question about the reality uh, and, the, and the existence of these unconventional aerial objects. You have to remember that during the last three years, the government, and when I say the government, the agencies of this government from the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, the Coast Guard, the National Security Agency, NASA, all the agencies have released approximately 3,000 pages of documents that have been classified up until the present time. Documents that have been filed away in their drawers that, that nobody has ever seen other than military personnel. These documents have now come forward. Uh, besides these documents, the CIA is withholding 57 UFO-related documents in their entirety. The National Security Agency is withholding 135 documents. Do you have a clue to what's on those things they're withholding? No, because the National uh, Security Agency refuses to even tell us the number of documents they have. If it wasn't for the fact that we were in court, and in, a, in, a, in the chambers of the federal judge where the U.S. attorney admitted that it was 135 documents we were talking about. But was Ground Saucer Watch looking for some specific yes, kernel of information? three documents relating to a Ralph Mayer who took a, a film of a UFO in 1952. And when they put in a request for any documents relating to Ralph Mayer, the CIA admitted that they had five documents but refused to release three documents. Uh, a lawsuit was brought in September of 1977 uh, there were negotiations, conferences with the U.S. attorney who represented the CIA. In September of 1978, uh, the CIA and my client, uh, through the attorneys, entered into a stipulation where the CIA agreed to conduct a reasonable search uh, of all UFO-related documents. In December of 1978, the CIA released 900 pages of UFO-related documents. When in, when in 1976, they told the director of Ground Saucer Watch that they had no interest in UFOs other than the Robertson panel report. So all of a sudden they just found 900 yeah, pages of Exactly. And the documents, in the documents themselves, indicate in the same year that they told Spaulding about the, about the lack of interest, they were investigating certain UFO Now, incidents. the word document carries a certain weight to it. When you say document, that could be a lease or title to a house. A document uh, is something as, uh, that's thought of being a heavy piece of paper. A document can also be a very simple piece of paper that contains really non-usable information. So you're using the word 900 documents. 900 pages of documents. Right. I don't know exactly. Well, I don't what, are, what, 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 are, what are these pages document? Um, sightings, but uh, what are referred to in the documents by responsible, reliable persons. You see, all along, before these documents were released, we've been reading civilian reports about individuals who've been seeing flying saucers or UFOs or flying disks, and they ability, their credibility. Now in the documents, these pages that were released by the FBI, the CIA, we see there was no question in the government's mind that these persons were reliable. They're referred to in the documents as early as 1949 as reliable, responsible military officials, generals, Air Force personnel, seeing these unconventional aerial objects. So there's no question. So now we see corroborated evidence that the people that do see these objects, that have been seeing them since 1949, are responsible people, They're not, credible. You know, if they testified in a court of law. Well, you know, when I first interviewed uh, Alan years ago, there was a theory going around that anybody who saw a flying saucer was probably well, befuddled by swamp gas somewhere in Louisiana and didn't know what he or she was yeah, seeing. We've, we've had a lot of documentation since that time. I think that, that one of the main things that uh, 
has come out here, that Peter has done, is to substantiate the credibility of many of the civilians, because it was easy to, and still is, to discredit a civilian. Uh, much more difficult to discredit a military man. Uh, in Blue Book, for instance, we would get reports from military pilots, and that was particularly embarrassing to the Air Force because after they had trained those men, and they couldn't very well, they could say that a civilian pilot might have been untrustworthy, but they could hardly say that to their, of their own military exactly. pilots, and we got case after case after case from military pilots which never hit the press. Remember about 10 years ago, maybe even longer, there were reports of sightings in the daily press on an almost weekly basis. There'd be an account on page three or four of most major newspapers that somebody somewhere in this country had sighted a flying saucer. Oftentimes there'd be a photograph of the sky with an object or something. You don't see much of that in newspapers anymore. Are there no sightings, or is the press not reporting them? Do they consider it not to be newsworthy? That's, that's it. To a large extent, it's no longer news because the same sorts of things are being reported. See, if it was something new, the, the, this is the one. There are three things about this whole thing, Tom, that no one can deny. They're incontrovertible points. Even the grossest skeptic can't deny them. First of all, is that the UFO reports not only exist, but persist. See, when I started with the Air Force, I thought that this was a fad. In a few years, we just disappeared. Be all over, okay. And it's global. We have reports now from 140 countries. I mean, as many, practically as many countries as there are in the United Nations. And the most important of the three things is that many, unfortunately not all, but many of the reports come from highly, highly credible, technically trained people, you see. What do the Russians say about flying saucers? Do they, do they have anything like this going on? Uh, Alan is the expert in that area. Here we have a report under the, issued under the sponsorship of the... Let me do the commercial and then we'll... The Russians. Uh, we're talking about whether the Russians have a policy on UFOs or flying saucers, as we call them. Well, until very recently, everything you read in Pravda said that uh, flying saucers were propaganda from the decadent Western societies. But recently, the Russian Academy of Sciences has released a report called The Observations of Anomalous Atmospheric Phenomena in the USSR. It doesn't sound like it's UFO, but they say in the introduction, we use the term anomalous atmospheric phenomenon because we consider the previously used term UFO to be less adequate for such work since it contains a definite interpretation of the phenomenon. You see, there's the, there, there's the point. The, in the public mind, UFO is synonymous with little green men from outer space. Mm -hmm. uh, that's putting the cart before the horse. What we are studying at the Center for UFO Studies in Evanston is the, are the properties of a phenomenon. Here is this constant flow of reports whose contents are bizarre and tremendously intriguing. That's what we're studying. And the Center is basically a collection of a, a rather loose association of scientists from various universities who have become intrigued by this intellectually challenging thing. In your uh, going through the documentation, were there any stories that you found in there where you could say, this is it? Here, here all the criteria have been met. Here the government is admitting, yes, yeah, somebody saw something and we must admit that it happened. See, the problem is that if you pick out one report, there's always going to be somebody to take that report apart. There are approximately over the last 10 years, since the beginning of 1970, 1973, at Hunter Airfield in, in Georgia, there was a sighting, an Army document. In, in 1975, in Algeria, in March of 75, there was an unusual sighting that the documents reflect. Documents are from all over the world. Uh, in 1975, over, over five sack those military good, bases, good uh, there was a, a mini evasion of unidentified objects that, that called for 
the, the Air Force to implement security option three because one of the UFOs over Loring Air Force Base demonstrated a clear intent in the weapons storage area. See, that's a problem. The government on the one hand says that no UFO studied or investigated has ever been a threat to national security. And here we have in 1975 uh, UFOs um, more or less invading. Uh, in 1976, there was an incident September 19, 1976 over Iran which the Defense Intelligence Agency, which uh, got the report from the attaché's office in Iran, evaluated as an outstanding report, a classic report, because, because it contained all the characteristics necessary to evaluate uh, a UFO report. Uh, an F-4 came in contact with a, with a, uh, a UFO, multicolored, brilliant light, and on approaching, an F-4 is an American-made Iranian jet, mm -hmm. on approaching, and we have to realize that this is an American-made jet we're talking about in 1976, on approaching the UFO, which was spotted on both radar and, and visually, uh, it lost all instrumentation and communication systems, so they went out. And then when it decided to leave the area, uh, the instrumentation and communication systems came back on. Another F-4 jet was launched, and as it approached the, U uh, the UFO, um, out of this UFO came another UFO, an unidentified object, one-third the size, with, with intense brilliance, and came straight at the F-4. The F-4 uh, tried to fire an AIM-4 missile at, at this UFO. Not and, a smart move, you know. And it's lost not very bright. All, all, once again, all instrumentation, communication, yeah. and now its weapons control panel went out. You know what I think part of the problem with the whole perception business of UFOs is, uh, number one, you said it, we're putting the cart before the horse, but rather than identifying what the objects are, we're, we're trying to guess what's inside the objects. Mm -hmm. The other one is movies, uh, media. The first movie I ever saw that I can remember that related to this was one called The Day the Earth Stood oh, Still. A good, one, a good picture, but it was an alien force that caused some harm. Yeah. All the motors and the power stopped. Yeah. And I think we have been so programmed by uh, fantasy motion pictures, television presentations, and in some cases, science fiction writing, to think that whatever they are, are against us. With that, guys, I'm going to let you go. I want to thank the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space again. Check them out. Give them a like. I want to thank you guys for listening again. Now next time, we're going to go over the Allagash abductions, the regression part. And again, I'm going to recount it myself out of the book, The Allagash Abductions by Raymond Bellin. After that, there's a couple things I want to touch on. So we'll be going into the UFOs and the paranormal again. Because during an interview, one thing was brought up to me. The out-of-body abduction experience. So I want to touch upon that. In the meantime, working on my book, working on podcast episodes, getting things knocked out for you guys. So I want to thank you guys again for listening. I just want you to remember that the UFOs want to tell you something. And this is T. Keep kicking it, right?